0: Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Compliance Clarified, a podcast for risk and compliant professionals brought to you by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Each week we discuss news stories and topical issues from our journalists and analysts in the US, Europe, Asia, and Australia. I'm Rachel Wolcott. Senior Editor at Regulatory Intelligence in the UK, and with me today is my colleague Helen Chan, Regulatory Intelligence Expert in Hong Kong. Welcome, Helen.
1: Hello, Rachel.
0: Helen and I have a lot to discuss in Episode 10 of Season 9. A few weeks ago, we were talking through ideas about cross-border enforcement on crypto fraud, and since then, there has been a huge amount of activity. Sam Bankman-Fried's guilty verdict already seems like old news. There's been that $4 billion plus finance mega enforcement in the U.S. that's seen its chief executive forced to step down, personally pay a $50 million fine, and potentially face jail time. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has brought charges against Kraken, and there have been further U.S. sanctions on crypto mixers. Not to be left out, Europol recently issued a big report on money laundering that focused in part on crypto. It too has been busy working with EU member states as well as the US to take out mixers and deal with crypto related money laundering and frauds. To start us off, Helen's going to tell us about the crackdown on pig butchering scams in China that seen Chinese law enforcement arrest people in Thailand and Myanmar. Helen, did I see that almost 31,000 people have been arrested? What's going on and why now? Well, it certainly is getting
1: quite hard to keep track of everything that is going on. Um, so, the most recent numbers, you are correct uh, 31,000 suspects were arrested and repatriated from Myanmar to China since September till now. So, that's roughly about two months. Um, In addition to that, thousands more have been arrested in cross-border enforcement stings um, conducted by Chinese officials with officials in Cambodia, Laos and Thailand in recent months. All of these individuals that were arrested have been repatriated to China for prosecution. But we're not quite certain what the next steps in the enforcement are. And um, there has been some uncertainty over whether human trafficking victims are among the people that have been arrested and how many of the people arrested are actual masterminds. Sort of more generally on pig butchering, um, news reporting by Reuters and also other outlets have linked Chinese organized crime groups to a lot of these pig butchering operations across Southeast Asia. In addition to that, blockchain analysis from firms such as TRM Labs and Elliptic showed that digital channels are actually being used to launder proceeds from these industrial scale um, pig butchering operations. On top of that, more recently, the DOJ said in a recent enforcement action that uh, investigators have observed that funds from victims are being laundered through chain hopping where the funds move um, from different addresses, different cryptocurrency addresses, and they're also converted to different cryptocurrencies as a way of masking like the illicit, sort- illicit origin of the funds. The amount of illicit funds that are moving this way through these channels is quite significant. In the United States alone, victims have reported losses of 2.6 billion US dollars from pig butchering and crypto fraud in 2022. People from all over the world have reported falling victim to these pig butchering scams um, with losses per individual running into the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of US dollars. And you ask me why now? Like, why is there so much attention now? Well, the size and the scale of these pig butchering operations has actually become an industry in and of itself has really alarmed Chinese regulators, not to mention the reputational risk concerns from association of Chinese organized crime groups with these allegations of widespread fraud and money laundering. Um, China's Central Bank, the People's Bank of China, recently warned that there are industry-wide shortcomings in anti-money laundering compliance And that financial institutions need to urgently take steps to strengthen their internal controls. So there is added pressure on regulators and the financial industry, um, which could also translate into more aggressive enforcement. Within this wave of enforcement, uh, traditional financial institutions could be targeted because crypto is banned in China. So regulators are likely to look directly at banks um, in, in sort of any sort of enforcement wave. And adding to that sentiment is crypto trading by Chinese investors in China kind of remains robust despite the ban. There's, there's been blockchain analysis and news reporting to support this. So altogether, these factors, the scrutiny, the shadow crypto trading, um, they present pretty complicated compliance risks for traditional financial institutions in China. And that could further challenge you know, the ability of these firms to detect and monitor uh, crypto money laundering since it is all happening underground.
0: Yeah, that's interesting uh, about the crypto trading uh, thriving in China despite the ban. I mean, that's a a theme that gets picked up on in the Binance enforcement action that we're going to talk about a little later. So, you know, the U S was faced with the same kind of problem. (laughs) Binance wasn't supposed to be doing business in the U S, but it was um, anyway um, just back to pig butchering for a minute. I mean, these, those are some massive numbers in terms of people who have been scammed in the billions now. And it's it's good to see that this kind of scam is getting uh, media attention. Some of the anti-financial crime groups like ACAMS have been really working hard to highlight the harms done and the typologies around pig butchering all year. It's alluded to in the Europol report and obviously, it's getting in in the U.S. too. Uh, you alluded to the Department of Justice action and uh, talking about chain hopping. Alongside of that, it sees $9 million of worth of tether uh, relate, uh, linked to pig butchering scams. So it really is front and center. But moving from uh, one type of... Uh, bad activity to potentially another. Let's talk about one of our favorite crypto exchanges, Huobi or HTX as it's now known. It was nominally based in the Seychelles until it was kicked out this summer. There's a lot of confusion about its ownership, its corporate structure. One of its alleged executives, Justin Sun, is associated with US cryptos like Polynex, Tron and Rainberry that have also attracted US enforcement action. Um, that's he's the subject of an SEC um, suit at the moment. Um, there are concerns about the role who will be HTX plays in money laundering, sanctions busting, enabling frauds like thick butchering, and yet it seems to be operating in Hong Kong. What is going on, Helen?
1: So yes, uh, HTX is operating in Hong Kong at the moment, although the situation is, is a bit more complex and nuanced. Um, there were rumors over the summer in news reporting uh, that several HTX executives had been detained by police in mainland China HTX denies this, so we're not quite sure what the, the facts are. Um, HTX is currently operating in Hong Kong under a local subsidiary by the name of SinoHope Technology Holdings. This company, SinoHope, is incorporated in the British Virgin Islands, and it disclosed last July that it had applied for a virtual asset service provider license with the SFC, the Securities and Futures Commission, for the HTX platform. Um, It's important to note that this license hasn't been granted yet. Separately, uh, Huobi Asset Management Limited, which is an affiliated subsidiary currently holds licenses from the SFC to advise on securities and run an asset management business. Neither of these licenses actually cover virtual asset-related activities or financial services. Um, Despite the fact that HTX's uh, virtual asset service provider license is still pending approval, it has been operating in Hong Kong under a regulatory grace period granted by the SFC according to Justin Sun, who I believe uh, represents himself as a global advisor for HTX. So the SFC is in fact offering a grace period to multiple firms which have applied for a virtual asset service provider license, but haven't been approved. During this grace period, they can operate normally and they can perform functions such as take customer deposits and engage in crypto asset trading activities. So of note, kind of allegations of fraud and ongoing enforcement action, mostly led by local law enforcement against another crypto exchange called JPEX, which was unlicensed and was operating in Hong Kong, have raised some questions about whether the SFC's approach and, you know, in offering this grace period as well as the licensing regime Uh, whether it can uphold investor protection standards and whether it's crypto friendly approach and market integrity can coexist together. We've certainly seen in other jurisdictions uh, which have tried the friendly approach only to kind of abruptly pivot to a more protective approach and be heavily criticized for that. Uh, The United States certainly comes to mind. Um, They at first tried to be rather friendly and then now they're being quite proactive in recent enforcement action especially against large cryptocurrency exchanges you mentioned Kraken also Coinbase and of course Binance
0: I'm Kim Vinell join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world from the front line in Ukraine extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover to the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to
1: be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You know, one thing about HTX, which is interesting, and something I've written about, is that a lot of these crypto uh, asset tracing uh services or chain and uh blockchain analytics services trace proceeds of fraud proceeds the people who have been ripped off in crypto scams to wallets not just on huobi but in this case on huobi or htx they try to get the exchange to cooperate with them but the exchange often is Reluctant to even respond to um, uh, legal proceedings. And people wind up spending a lot of time and money um, trying to recoup their assets that have, they've been traced to uh, scammers' wallets on the exchange. So, you know, being licensed and um, operating in Hong Kong you know, might be a way for people who have been scammed to take some legal action against Tuobi if they want to recoup um, their losses. But we'll we'll see uh, how that pans out. Uh, When I wrote about HTX a few months ago, they told me they were, like Binance, uh, not uh, based anywhere, and that they were, you know, one of these just, I think we talked about it at the time, Helen, You know, one of these companies that's sort of in the wind. Um, and speaking of in the wind, you know, Binance claimed it was in the wind. It wasn't really based anywhere. People or law enforcement regulators couldn't take action against it. Well, last week they were proved 100% wrong. And like I said before, Uh, The U.S. Justice Department and the uh, CFTC brought a big enforcement action against them. And one thing I've been wondering about it is whether the findings that are set out in the various consent orders and judgments give us a clue about what's been going on at other exchanges like Huobi and some of the other big ones. And what I'm thinking about here is you know, maintaining, um, a presence in certain jurisdictions, even though they're not supposed to, um, and the ways they went to go around that, um, encouraging people to using VPNs, identifying, um, VIP customers and uh, lacks to zero KYC. I mean, I th- it seems like A lot of what was in the, particularly in the FinCEN consent order, was potentially a roadmap to what was going on at inside other crypto firms, and it also shows how this was coordinated at a very high level at the firm. Um, You know, having said that, I doubt Huobi and some of the other um, crypto exchanges have some of the big. U.S. institutional clients that Binance had and according to the consent order was really desperately trying to hold on to. Um, but let's uh, break down some of the facts and findings in that consent order. There were a few different fines from DOJ, FinCEN, and the CFTC, like I said, for a total of $4.3 billion. Cheng Peng Zhao, or CZ as he's known, has been forced to um, out, and he's paying personally a $50 million fine. He could spend 18 months in jail. The chief compliance officer was also fined. I'm sure they will be taking some other actions against him. And what the FinCEN order in particular shows is that the chief compliance officer and CZ coordinated Binance's non compliance strategy aimed at retaining these VIP clients, uh, not just to make money off of them, but because these key US clients were amongst the biggest market makers and liquidity providers on Binance.com. Um, the FinCEN consent order also confirmed what we've ex- suspected, and has already been reported around money laundering, sanctions busting, and terrorist financing. For example, Binance moved $500 in funds linked to Iran. And it was involved in some other really despicable activity, like enabling child pornographers. And during all of this time, it raised precisely no suspicious transaction reports. So to me... Even though the fine looks modest and the sanctions on CZ look small compared to his net worth, I think effectively being kicked out of the US, being forced to offboard all these US customers, some of which were providing this c- critical liquidity and market making to Binance. Uh, going, there's going to be a monitor in place to oversee this root and branch uh, revamp of AML and compliance. It's go- going to have to go through historical uh, transactions and raise suspicious activity reports. And on the whole, this is huge. Binance is losing its biggest customers, and the compliance overhaul is going to cost a bundle. Um, let's sort of my thoughts in a nutshell. Um, Helen, what stood out for you in the binance case?
1: So Rachel, I think you're right in, in stating that there are a lot of kind of jurisdiction limits um, and and barriers to bringing enforcement action against cryptocurrency exchanges that claim to be either be decentralized or have no headquarters. And, you know, securities regulators in many jurisdictions, including in the United States um, and in Asia, are struggling with that issue. What I think is interesting is that uh, U.S. regulators are now sort of moving in a direction to try to leverage AML-CTF compliance um, as, as like a way for them to impose liability on these cryptocurrency exchanges, you know, as we see with Binance. Comparatively speaking, AML-CTF regulatory requirements are more consistent and more well-established than some aspects of securities laws, uh, especially when it comes to crypto and arguing, like, is crypto a security? Is it a financial instrument? That can kind of differ across jurisdictions and, and can also hinder you know, law enforcement when it comes to taking action against uh, some of the financial crimes that you mentioned, money laundering, sanctions violations, and, and also some of the more like darker, darker crimes, um, child pornography, terrorist financing and the like. Regulators have faced a lot of challenges in going with the securities route. I think we've seen that with the SEC as well. The SEC's legal proceedings against Ripple and and Coinbase, I think, are good examples that highlight the uncertainty around um, going with securities regulation route in enforcement action. Um, Going back to just looking at Binance and and this new recent enforcement action, the SEC's case, or at least their arguments for AML-CTF and sanctions violations, seems to stand on much stronger ground. Um, And... You know, just kind of staying with the the root of pursuing enforcement action based on fraud and financial crime, like we saw with the trial of SBF and F- FTX, like the SEC and the DOJ were quite successful in that.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, the FinCEN consent order couldn't have been clearer on Binance. You were running a money service business in the u.s unlicensed everything you were doing was consistent with that kind of business which requires you to be doing kyc um they also made a really big deal about um the u.s nexus they were even looking at um firms that were trading through you know the virgin islands or cayman islands or whatever and saying this wasn't really an offshore business. This was completely supported by the U.S. So it's really clear to me that they were looking very closely and uh, using this potentially as a, a test case or setting an example, you know, setting out how things are going to happen. And I think that if you're at a crypto, you would be pretty worried after reading that. But uh, moving right along, let's look at that uh, Europol report briefly. Before we talk about the crypto aspects, one of the things that the report underscores is the increasingly global nature of money laundering as a service, which also stands out in the Binance case, although I'm sure Binance wouldn't have called it that. That doesn't have to be using uh, crypto. Cash is by far still the main way money launderers work, and the Europol report really brings home that point, talking about this uh, so-called Chinese underground banking networks, uh, which the UK National Crime Agency has also warned about again in relation to cash-based money laundering through the post office. Helen, what do these underground banking networks in the likes of the Kennehan crime family say about the current global money laundering landscape?
1: So organized crime groups taking advantage of regulatory arbitrage is not really a new thing. Um, Money laundering operations for organized crime groups have, you know, they have long sought to leverage things like shell companies, import-export business, um, and trade-based money laundering to launder money at scale. The Kinahan the organized crime family that you mentioned, they were able to build a business empire valued at, I think, $1 billion, according to the Times, through just building a network of diverse business holdings and trusts and shell companies that were spread around the world. They also reportedly invested in crypto, which, you know, as we know, is rife with regulatory arbitrage around the world. Crypto regulatory arbitrage is something that is really enabling these organized crime groups um, to scale their money laundering operations and, and have that kind of proliferate at a scale and speed that was previously unseen. Things like DeFi protocols, especially mechanisms like crypto bridges and mixers are providing All these new pathways for organized crime money laundering services to move funds from DeFi to traditional financial institutions and across borders, across jurisdictions, seamlessly, often, you know, at at great speed. Um, A more coordinated global approach in terms of enforcement might be the best way to combat these types of modern day money laundering typologies, and you know, possibly curb the underground banking network that is being used to launder money. Uh, but that is quite challenging in a practical context. You know, as we know, countries around the world are at various stages in digital transformation and, and that journey. Um, we also have to consider that there is a disparity in wealth you know, resources and also expertise of law enforcement and financial regulators in different countries, in different jurisdictions, Um, You know, how this affects the ability to take enforcement action is most visible in the way that uh, pig butchering operations have been able to grow into these industrial-sized compounds and, and, you know, really take hold in regions of Southeast Asia where enforcement is perceived to be lax and regulatory resources are finite.
0: Yeah, this idea of industrial-scale fraud is something that... we're really seeing here in the UK and Europe as well. Um, Europol says that most cases of investment fraud in the EU involve cryptocurrencies. I think that you could probably say that to a certain degree in the UK as well. A lot of these are romance scams, which in some cases, um, pig butchering uh, scams are also romance scams. Uh, Europol also mentions a lot of crypto-related money laundering typologies, like the use of non-fungible tokens, mixers, privacy coins, crypto ATMs, vouchers, prepaid debit cards, it's just giving criminals a lot more tools to use on top of the uh, traditional cash-based money laundering. I mean, I think I was telling you, I've even seen a known money launderer as a service guy on YouTube explaining in a very, let's say crudely produced video, uh, his ideas about how you can use Tether to uh, want. He doesn't call it wander money, um, but that's what it is. Anyway, um, Europol said that the global nature and speed and mixing of cryptocurrency transactions present a significant challenge to law enforcement investigations. It is also difficult to trace and freeze crypto assets and convert them into fiat currency. So I think this goes back to what you were saying about um, you know, the speed at which um, these um, platforms can be used to um, steal the money and move the money. We're also seeing a lot more fiat-to-crypto laundering attached to all kinds of illegal activities from sanctions busting, uh, laundering proceeds of crime, capital flight. And Nowadays, you can make a contact on the dark web and organize a meetup uh, in an office block in Moscow, for example. You bring your suitcase full of cash, you get it turned into crypto. And this happens on a peer-to-peer basis a lot of the time. It's in plain sight on crypto exchanges. So Helen, what are your thoughts here? Is this fiat-to-crypto activity common in Asia, Hong Kong, for example? I've heard different accounts that crypto shops no longer exist in China or Hong Kong, but I've also heard there's a roaring trade for fiat-to-crypto transactions underground. What's going on?
1: So I think official cash-to-crypto shops in China have been shut down as part of the crypto ban. Um, As far as I'm aware, there are a few cash-to-crypto shops that do operate in Hong Kong, um, things like Bitcoin ATMs, So that's still around. uh, And and it is something that's kind of in a regulatory gray area. So there are concerns that there just isn't sufficient oversight as to who's depositing funds and how much and where are these funds coming from, where are they going you know, overall, crypto-related laundering typologies are enabling money laundering operations to navigate, as as we've said, seamlessly between that digital and fiat currencies. You know, we we talked about how pig butchering has been able to proliferate into an entire industry, and how organized crime groups have managed to build um, you know business empires, leveraging these channels. And I think that. You know, all of these trends illustrate just how large scale money laundering is becoming a global service and, and an industry like in and of itself. You know, within Asia, I would say that fiat to crypto transactions, you know, they're common. They, they do happen and in, including in China, even though you know, crypto is banned. Um you know, as, as we discussed earlier, blockchain analysis shows that investors in China remain very active crypto traders, and it is likely that these funds are making their way off-ramp into financial markets across the globe, and there is that that kind of movement between fiat and cryptocurrencies.
0: Yeah, you'd think that given the, uh, I wouldn't say new, but the stepped-up uh attention that crypto is getting from chinese authorities that they'll be keeping their eye on on this space very carefully especially as it goes along potentially with some of their other um, policy priorities you know potentially around corruption and whatnot but helen more broadly what are your takeaways for compliance officers navigating the crypto aml and fraud landscape
1: So I think amid this broader crackdown um, by mainland China on fraud and money laundering traditional financial institutions, not just in China, but also the greater China region, Hong Kong as well, they should expect more scrutiny of customer due diligence and anti-money laundering compliance and the robustness of their internal controls from Just an enforcement strategy perspective, traditional financial institutions are low-hanging fruit uh, for financial crime enforcement, especially when compared to decentralized mechanisms uh, or even offshore companies, offshore entities. I think another issue to keep in mind uh, for the greater China region is how the current vigilance and scrutiny of anti-money laundering compliance uh, in mainland China of financial institutions in China could impact firms and also virtual asset service providers in Hong Kong, where, you know, as you know, crypto is legal. And also recently, financial regulators have been pushing banks and other financial services firms to cut red tape for crypto clients and crypto businesses there's certainly large volumes of data and funds um, in the financial sector that move from mainland China to Hong Kong across these two jurisdictions every day. And, you know, given, given the regulatory arbitrage and, and kind of the vastly different stances on crypto between Hong Kong and mainland China, there's a very real risk of money laundering operations taking advantage of the, the regulatory environment and a potentially, more forgiving customer due diligence environment too, I would say.
0: I think that's a really important point, Helen, because oftentimes when I'm talking to you, one of the questions that inevitably comes up is, you know, making this distinction about what happens in Hong Kong versus what happens in the mainland, uh, in mainland China. For people who aren't on the ground there, I think it's easy to get, get confused about, where the lines are drawn. I think, you, as you rightly point out, people need to be paying attention to that. Um, as for me, I would really hope that those financial institutions doing business with cryptos are applying the requisite due diligence and asking the right questions. I would be looking at firms and customers that are doing business with cryptos, like payment firms offering the fiat to crypto on-ramps these firms often collude with or unwittingly enable fraudsters because they have weak systems and controls. And for those of you in the UK, I'd be careful about doing business with cryptos that are not compliant with the new uh, crypto asset financial promotion regime, which the UK Financial Conduct Authority just launched at the beginning of October. That's it for this week's Compliance Clarified. Thanks, Helen, for that fantastic discussion. Thanks, Rachel. Your feedback is important to us, so please give us a rating on your podcasting platform of choice, or you can get in touch directly. Our contact details are in the show notes. For more information about regulatory intelligence, please search for Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence online or check the show notes for a link. Thank you, and goodbye. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.